This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to the skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. Hi, 50 Feminist States fam, Amelia here, and today I'm back to bring you a very special episode with one of our very own 50 Feminist States podcast fellows. In case you missed my announcement this spring, the 50 Feminist States Podcast Fellowship is a three-month paid opportunity to learn how to podcast and then record and produce an episode of 50 Feminist States. I opened application for the fellowship in February, and throughout the month of March, I worked with three amazing fellows, teaching them how to podcast and inviting them to imagine their own episode of this very podcast right here. The three fellows are Mary L. Chang, L'Oreal Thompson-Payton, and Angie Iglesias. In today's episode, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Angie to help you get to know her before she produces her very own episode of the podcast later this summer. Angie Iglesias is a Miami-based writer, activist, and creator. Her work as a writer, photographer, and video producer has been featured in multiple print and online publications. Angie graduated from Florida International University with a degree in political science and currently works for a community-serving grant program while freelancing for online magazines. In the conversation that I'm going to share with Angie, we talk a lot about the role of storytelling and art in activism. We had a really amazing conversation about the importance of representation and sharing stories from different perspectives, as well as some of the failures of visibility and the moments in which how we tell stories and who hears them is so, so important. I love this conversation, and I know that you are going to be so happy that you got to know Angie on this podcast. If you want to hear more from 50 Feminist States, you can follow us on Instagram at 50 Feminist States, subscribe to our newsletter at 50feministstates.com slash newsletter, and support the podcast with a donation on our Glow FM page. All of those links are in the show notes, but for now, I'm going to dive right into this conversation. Here's Angie. Hi, my name is Angie Iglesias. I am a activist, writer, artist based out of Miami, Florida. And I applied specifically for the 50 Feminist States Podcast Fellowship because I wanted to share uh, stories from a different perspective. I wanted to involve myself in storytelling and activism because those are my two like passions and what I try to do in my personal life and in my professional life. So 50 Feminist States really seemed to be the perfect intersection of storytelling, community, and activist outreach. And so I definitely wanted to get involved and do anything I could there. Oh, yes. Well, we are thrilled to have you. And I'm so pumped for the conversation we've already had. And I know the amazing episode that you'll create. I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit more with listeners about like your your background, like what kind of storytelling and art that you've created and, and any an activist work you might may or may not have been involved in in your community. 
So I come from a working class neighborhood outside of Miami called Hialeah. It's a predominantly immigrant, very blue collar sort of community. And that's where my family kind of immigrated from when they came from both Costa Rica and Cuba. I'm the first generation of my entire family to be born in the United States. I'm also the second generation of my family to learn English, which is super cool, but it is also, again, not my first language. There's a definite sense of being from the United States, but also not being from the United States. And that's also heightened when it comes to living in a really kind of insular community like the one I live in. That's sort of my background. Additionally, I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community. I have experiences with being neurodivergent and all of this kind of wraps up into a package that's me. <laughs> that makes my my experiences a little bit different than the average person who lives in my immigrant community. Seeing all of this, I knew I wanted to get involved in activism from like a really early age. You know, I grew up in a family that was very politically motivated. My family comes from political prisoners. Um, so there's always been a really strong political background in my family. So I grew up with that sort of nature. I really started getting involved in activism during my last year of college and right after I graduated graduated. So that's when I joined the campaign to get President Biden elected in 2020. What I did was community outreach and basically, you know, working with voters, calling, reaching out and establishing these connections and volunteer groups to get voter registration and voter mobilization, especially in an election year where the results were, you know, all the polls and statistics were like, these results are going to be super tight. So getting people involved and getting voters out there. That was my first foray into activism. However, as I went through, I noticed that a lot of these political processes, especially within the structure of a system, don't really outreach to communities that aren't really beneficial to their voting blocks. And that's not saying that's not bad, but that's just not the goal of a lot of organizations. Therefore, I kind of distanced myself from working within a political structure and started working definitely more with my community. So right now I work for a grant program where we provide tutoring, we provide free lunches and meals and enrichment activities to underprivileged children. That definitely feels much more connective than a sort of wider political gain. It feels a lot mm -hmm. better to be working within my community and actively helping my community directly than just some overall goal, which while is important really doesn't affect working class communities. In the midst of all of this, I became involved with producing and working within film and media and making videos. It's like how? I have no clue. Honestly, I have <laughs> no clue. My friends was just like, hey, I'm making a film and I don't know any and I need someone to help and you're free. Can you come? And I was like, yeah, sure. And instantly I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. In the midst of working on a political campaign, I started helping making short films and I started getting into writing and it, again, and I started really reconnecting with my love for art and my love for telling stories and my 
love for communicating with one another, which I think everyone kind of has that, especially as a kid. And then when they grow up, it's like, okay, get a real job. Don't really do that. Go be an accountant or something. No shade to accountants. I love them. (laughs) Yeah. I started going through those motions and I became a resident copy editor for a online magazine called Grain of Salt, which is focused on highlighting and sharing experiences of like modern Gen Z, pop culture, feminism, and other artistic projects, but through the lens of marginalized genders. And that has always been the primary focus. So that combination of working on films, working on different video projects, and becoming involved in this sort of DIY zine sort of vibe, combined with definitely seeing the impact of direct community outreach really shaped my view into, I want to bring storytelling and I want to bring art and I want to bring activism that really affects my community all into one. Oh, that's such a beautiful origin story. And thank you for sharing. I mean, I love this, like, this was like you're weaving such a beautiful tapestry of interests and ideas and uh, that come from your own experience and things you're encountering and engaging. Um, I also love Grain of Salt. I think the perspective of it is so clear. And like the titles for people listening in, like one of the main articles on the page right now is Draco Malfoy is not a gynecologist. <laughs> like I'm like, yeah, this is great. Um, I want to read this. I want to read all of this. Um, no, it's just so exciting to like hear more about how all those pieces have come together for you. So one question I'd love if maybe you could speak to a little bit, either from your experience or more broadly, is how can storytelling and art inspire activism? Well, I think that storytelling in art, it's quite in the name. It tells a story that's super obvious, but there's a lot of stories outside of our own that we wouldn't even have the opportunity to visualize or see. Additionally, storytelling and artwork helps tap into this like super emotional core of people that's beyond logic, that's beyond you know just numbers on a screen. It feels real and it can move people. There's this interconnected thread of the common human experience. Even if we all come through different perspective and different lenses, there's something that we can all relate to when it comes to, you know, the big stories, you know, of love and loss and tragedy and excellence and failure and all of these different core human motivations. Being able to tap into those to engender empathy for a community that you may not have even heard of or a community that is kind of outside of your own can Mm -hmm. really help inspire wanting to make a change and help inspire activism and help inspire empathy, which I think is the root of how we can change situations and how we can change and inspire better conditions and better lives for the people around us, even if they come from different backgrounds and different experiences. Yes, that's so beautiful. It really reminds me of um, the teachings of one of my favorite artists, activists, Audre Lorde, and just like the way that she talks about um, kind of like the deep root of our desires as the erotic and like that being like our connection with other humans, like, and that our work has to come like any long lasting work comes from that place. Like the work that makes the deep changes comes from a deep place. And that's in our feelings and our emotions. And I love how you're connecting that to storytelling and like sharing stories is how we connect with those deep feelings in each other. I think that's a really powerful, powerful insight. Thank you. Yeah. Another question. So 
for people tuned in, I have, I asked Angie to share some questions that she wanted me to ask her. And I really love this question. So I wanted to, since, so I'm going to ask you this since you sent it to me, (laughs) Um, why are stories shared from different perspectives, i.e. not standard cis hat white male? Um, Why are those stories important to tell audiences outside of that, like kind of standard or idealized in the U.S. community? This is a really cool question because there is definitely, we've definitely seen a push and trend to hear and see stories that have a diverse cast and come from diverse perspectives. However, Mm. there's usually the motivation of, yes, these people have not been able to tell their stories, especially in larger media markets. There's also a really big underlying reason, especially among cishet white non-marginalized genders of, well, uh, we should totally do this because, I mean, yeah, it's the right thing to do. It's definitely a kind of liberal take, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, this, you know, the whole rainbow capitalism thing of wanting to appeal to as many demographics as possible. But in getting to hear different perspectives and stories, and especially hearing from marginalized creators and hearing stories outside of your own lenses that tint your world and outside of your own communities, it's beneficial to, I think, everyone because it helps helps expand your perspectives and it helps expand how you view the world. In the past, it was very difficult to move outside of your community. It was very difficult to see outside Mm -hmm. of your community. But now with the advent of the internet and the advent of social media, the fact that so many different people with so many different lives and cultural experiences and socioeconomic positions and so many different spectrums of identity can come together and share their stories practically for free on multiple different platforms platforms and share that wealth of information and make that easily accessible is just that there's so much to be learned. Being able to see these perspectives and being able to see stories be told by people who aren't just within your community is just miraculously eye-opening. And it can help develop empathy for people you've never met or may never meet. It could help you learn about issues and learn maybe more about yourself and how you relate to the world around yourself. That process of self-discovery and relation to community, not only within your community, but communities outside of your own, is really dramatically important, not just for an individual, but for the development of societies in general. So having the the ability to see beyond your own personal kind of wheelhouse and having the, the ability to see outside of where you come from and instead see where someone else comes from, I think that's just Mm -hmm. so deeply important. More than just, it's cool to see it, but rather it helps develop yourself and it helps develop how you relate to other people. And I think that's just amazing. And the fact that it can just open up your eyes and you can learn so much more, I think that's just amazing. It's super important that people, especially from marginalized communities, have the ability to share their stories, but it's much more important that those stories matter, and they really do. So those stories that matter and that affect us and impact us across cultures and across communities, I think that's super important. And the fact that they're able to be shared, especially in a medium which up until very recently hasn't been able to, and that we now have the ability to share those stories, I think that's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much 
I mean, you, you said so many great things in there. And I, I feel like just one of the, even the small pieces I want to respond to or expand on is just this idea of like the importance of sharing stories and the medium, the media that are accessible to us to do that. It's part of what I love about DIY culture. And I consider podcasting to be a DIY medium, even though it does take some like learning how to do certain things. And that's one of my goals of the fellowship was just to like try to expand or make it um, more accessible, available to people to learn how to podcast. I made zines for a long time before I was a podcaster because I do think that's like real DIY art there, but sorry, I've gone on a tangent now, but um, I just, I love media where people are creating on their own terms and then it's getting shared well, you know, within or beyond their communities in that way. I also agree with you that it's really great to see there's like this balance between representation in more mainstream outlets and be like, it's like the promise and peril of visibility that people talk about and um, something I think a lot about and maybe you do too like you're as an editor of an online magazine something I'm thinking about as an editor for you know these episodes that we'll be sharing from the fellows is like how to empower people to tell stories in their own way and how like I think often the role of an editor is seen as quote-unquote correcting like mistakes in a piece or like making it fit like a certain style guide that's been determined by like a higher up power. But I really like to think of editors as like just continually sharing tools and support so people can create something that best expresses what they want to create, which I think is very different than being like you, this grammar is wrong or like, I don't like that there isn't a subheading here, whatever, (laughs) whatever other editors do. Um, Anyway, sorry. That was just me sharing a lot of feelings in response to everything you said. (laughs) No, I think, I think editing um, beyond just being like correcting grammar and having endless debates about an Oxford comma. I think uh, editing is definitely about getting the artist to really connect with the soul of their piece and allowing the artist to express themselves in a way that they may not have thought of or in a way that can best be shared, not just with people that they know, but with a brander and broader audience. So uh, editing, not in a sense of cutting and reshaping, but editing in a sense of letting a person flourish and find their voice. Yeah, Oh, I love that. And I, I think I've been thinking a lot too about how to like, like maximizing resonance. It's not that anything needs to be heard by everyone, but making sure it's going to resonate with the right people or the people that the artist has in mind. And then also the like beautiful surprises. I feel like all works of art, when you put them out, there's always somebody who you're like, I did not think this was for you, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> or somebody who like hates it. And you're like, yeah, cause it's not for you. <laughs> so um, that's part of the joy of sharing work too, I think. Sometimes not joy, but that's part of the re- reality of sharing your work. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> Beautiful. Well, Angie, is there anything else you want to share with the 50 Feminist States listeners before we sign off for this chat? Um, that I'm just very excited to be here. I've learned a lot and I really hope to grow more. And I hope you guys like what I have in store for the episode I'll be producing. And I'm just super excited and grateful to be here. Oh, yay. I feel the same way. So awesome. Thanks, Angie. Estados Feministas 50
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist Dates. You can find show notes at 50feministdates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministdates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.